on Macquarie Radio NTS. This is What's Cooking with Nerida Conway, bringing you a tasty assortment of all things food and wine. Welcome to What's Cooking on Macquarie Radio NTS. I'm Nerida Conway. Super excited to be bringing you a fantastic interview that I got to do recently with Chef Heston Blumenthal, the legend that he is. Also talking to his head sommelier, Issa Bell, about all things wine to do with the Fat Duck Group. We'll be chatting to Justin Purser, who's the winemaker from Best's Great Western Winery in the Grampians region. There's a nice tie-in there that you'll hear about later. Lastly, we'll be chatting to Chef Ian Curley from the European and Kirk's Wine Bar, and he's going to be answering your curly questions. Now, remember, if you have a curly question about food and wine, send it in to us at whats-cooking.com.au. And if Ian reads it out on air, we will send you a little gift with love. You're with What's Cooking on Macquarie Radio NTS. Guess who's coming to dinner with Nerida Conway. Hello, you're with Nerida Conway on NTS Macquarie Radio. I am so ridiculously excited, bouncing out of my skin, because a little while ago I got the exclusive scoop on chatting to Heston Blumenthal, what a legend and seriously, ridiculously lovely man, about the 20th anniversary of the Fat Duck and his last ever dinner service at the Fat Duck in Australia. Also asked him about his new restaurant that's popping up called Dinner by Heston. Have a listen. So this is Heston Blumenthal that I'm sitting here with today and this is your last ever service at Fat Duck Melbourne. Yeah, when you first said that I went quiet because I thought, oh that's really sad. And then my mind, because my brain kind of turns down quite quickly and thought, oh, but that's okay because I'm coming back anyway for yeah. the opening of dinner. Yes. Uh, and then I, then I went, wow, moving the Fat Duck, the, the Fat Duck's reopening now in the end of September. Yeah. Really exciting. Then my brain went, oh, God, all the things I've got to do for Bray. Oh. And then I went, oh, but it is 20 years. So all that happened in that little pause. Well, your brain is quite extraordinary, clearly, to come up with the different things you come up with. That's one way of putting it. Tell me, overall, has it been a positive experience for you shifting everything to Melbourne for the Fat Duck? No. It's been amazing. Uh, You're not sorry you did it? Oh, no. I said this to somebody the other day. I said, if you, the, the simplest way to answer that question, because someone asked me this, as I said the other day, if I do it again, would I do it again and go through all of that? Mm. Bear in mind, it was about a year and a half's worth of organisation. Okay, I find it hard to get my children off to school each morning. Oh, and never, I was never able to do that anyway. <laughs> <laughs> um, you think, well, I'd go through it again. And I'm actually going through it again in, yeah. in, uh, in about a couple of months' time. So you're packing up here, you're reopening bigger and better and... Smaller, actually. Smaller, okay. Yeah, same space, bigger better kitchen mm-hmm. we've rebuilt the kitchen um wine cellar changes we've got something we've got something we're calling the inner sanctum which is a table mm-hmm. where you can beam light and sound and other things to it upstairs wow. hopefully through a secret bookcase wow so that. how very narnia of you uh, yeah <laughs> i'll say that's great if i knew what that meant now it um downstairs the room is simple the same uh, new kitchen However, each table has lighting. You can change remote control individually. The concept is not even really a concept. I think it's something. It feels to me like if I go back to the first thought about needing to move the duck, this is where all this came from about, well, actually, 17 years ago. So I opened in 1995. 1997... 
because the first three years, I had no money whatsoever. I remember looking at trying to put a new oven in because we had the old pub kitchen. Honestly, it was, it was, you could barely fit a tin of tomatoes in there. Wow. And uh, I think I need a new kitchen. All I can afford, I think it was £15,000, so £30,000 at the time, which I was going to borrow the money over a three-year period. And that Christmas, we just had no money, so the bank wouldn't lend us anything. Oh. Then, 2000, we did a revamp. By 2002, that kitchen that we revamped was out of date. So we, re- we got planning permission in 2005 to knock it down a new one. And then from 2005, because I realised it was a six-month job, mm. I knew we had to find somewhere to move the restaurant and team. So I've been looking for 10 years. Wow. And why did you pick Melbourne? Um, I picked Melbourne because first we had offers from Vegas, Dubai, Montreux in Switzerland, Courchevel, which is a skiing resort. But it, it wasn't right. None of it was right. And then I started, I came to Australia 202, 203, first time mm-hmm. to do, it was a guest of honor for the Gourmet Traveller Awards. And I remember I met Neil Perry and John Alexander, John, who wasn't at Crown, wasn't running this whole kind of operation then. And we became friends over the years. I was coming every two years to do a dinner for the Starlight Foundation. In the last five, six years, I've seen a food explosion that I've never seen anywhere else wow. before. But, but I think that the, the whole thing was, we also, we looked quite seriously, very seriously, in the States. Okay. Because my restaurant in London, dinner that's going to open mm-hmm. here, is with the Mandarin Oriental in, in, in the, not London. Okay. They have a restaurant in New York, and that's the natural progression to go to mm. from the UK. Plus, we were looking at doing TV stuff there mm. and other things. <clears> they <throat> had a whole lot of union issues, so that's when the whole kind of Melbourne thing came up. John and I started talking, and it grew from there. And we have loved you. You know, like I've heard that, you know, you're called H, which is, you yes. know, it's, it's, that's very um, James Bond to me. But <laughs> if you were an Aussie, yeah. we'd call you Heza. I've never been called Heza. Have oh, you? no, I have. So by by the... one, once, once. You have, right. but No, but, but H, I, but I wasn't called H before really sort of this sort of intensive period of coming over really? here. It was Because it's not an Aussie thing to do. We, we put, you know, we do Heza, Heza, Makachuka, yeah. those sorts of things. Yeah, so. it came from a really good friend of mine. He's, for me, just the best chef in Britain, or one of the very best restaurants. So he's, him and his uh, wife, it's Sat and Amanda, mm. was H... H, and I think somebody, somebody here, because they've been over to Melbourne a couple of times, mm. they picked up on it. I th- you know what? It might even be George that started it. Okay. I think little George. Well, I think... Th- stuck, and, but so H is... <laughs> little George, <laughs> bless George, him. George, he's going to love bless that. Bless him. He calls me, he's, he calls me a ginger microphone because he thinks my hair looks like this, this microphone <laughs> cover. So... <laughs> oh, that's too uh, funny. But that's so my, my, my Aussie nickname is H. Well, I think I'm going to have to call you Heza. Okay, that might change, it might start a new, a new <laughs> a one. A new then. thing. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me about Dinner by Heston, what's it going to be? Well, Dinner by Heston is to go back to the past, to old historic recipes, particularly what it was British, English and British recipes, and get inspiration for dishes, um, which started, I was writing a book, my first book, Family Food, was how to get kids involved in the kitchen. Love it. And uh, I was in, in this amazing cookbook shop in London, I was flicking through the shelves, and I've got, I think I've got ADD, because I get shiny objects, and I go, oops, drop it and go for the next one. And I was looking for books that had been written on the subject up to that point, and most of them were on the funny face school of cooking, you know, mashed potato for hair and sausage for the yeah, mouth. And, yeah. And then I came across this book, just saw the, the actual uh, spine of it, and it said, 
It was Recipes from Taiwan. Now, I only recognize the name because that was the name of a three mission star, very famous restaurant at the time in Paris. So, oh, I didn't know they had this book out. Little paperback, took it off the shelves, and it was a translation of a recipe book from Taiwan, who was the chef to the Palais Royal in Paris in 1300 odd. Flicked through, and the book, it almost fell open on this page, which is how to roast a chicken and bring it back to life again. So, of course, with a title like that, I'm not going to put the book back down again. <laughs> so, I read it, and my jaw, I tell you, you, you basically take this chicken, you pluck it while it's alive, it gets worse, and then you baste its skin with a mixture of wheat germ, saffron and dripping. And according to the recipe, it makes it look like it's been roasted. Oh, how horrid. You know, then you take this whole thing and you put its head under its breast and rock it to sleep. Apparently you can do this to chickens, but I've never tried. <laughs> then you, uh, and the, you put it on a platter with two roasted chickens and bring it to the dining room. So just imagine you've got your lord and master, king and queen, whenever sitting at their 30 foot long dining table in this sort of cathedral dining room, massive fireplace, court jester dancing around, and you bring in this platter with these roasted chickens on. You start carving one of the roasted chickens, and somewhere through the carving process, this poor chicken has been plucked alive, basted, rocked to sleep, goes... And, and gives runs, everyone the shock of their life. Yeah, and the recipe says run down, <laughs> runs down the table upsetting goblets and whatnot. And that sounds like the dinner party from hell. Yeah, that's the first part of the recipe. You then <laughs> eventually put this poor little thing out of its misery, kill it, and roast it. But before you roast it, you stuff its neck with mercury and sulphur. And according to the recipe, those two ingredients, ingredients, those two chemicals react in the oven and make a clucking noise. Oh, my God. This is not RSPCA approved. No way. And so you bring this chicken back to life again. I since found out that there's no way that can work. And you realise that recipes in those days, there were no such things as recipe books for sale. They were, they were aid memoirs. They were they're like notebooks for the chefs of the palaces. One as aid memoirs and for their team, the kitchen team to, to use. But also they were kind of bragging little fishing stories as some other chef in another castle goes... Oh, you heard what he's doing down there. He's totally taking this chicken, isn't he? <laughs> and so you found these funny recipes pop up. Anyway. So we're not going to see this on the menu at Dinner by Heston with Chooks running around on the table knocking over drinks? No, but I've got an idea for an emu. Actually, <laughs> <laughs> everyone listening? That is a joke. <laughs> yeah, I've uh, just, I know that you have to hurry. and yes. so, oh, just, uh, just yes. finishing, I realised that Britain had this culinary heritage that no one knew about and for many reasons from 1700s it was the last great period we then went into moved into the victorian age and they victorians went mad for everything french so all the english british gastronomy was kicked out the window the british chefs of the courts were kind of sacked french chefs came in and victorian period we're looking at 1850 so if you look at old australian recipes from that time most of those recipes are you might as well have taken the Victorian ones from the UK yeah. and stuck kangaroo and wallaby and poss yeah, possum yeah, in there. Yeah, yeah. So from anyway, from there, I just realised I, I want to I want to showcase this. Plus the approach of a modern chef taking these old recipes, replicating them for research, yeah. and then taking that inspiration and cooking them. And when you go back to the fat duck, for example, yeah. in England, are you going to take any inspiration? Have we inspired you with any ingredients or any? Um, you know, indigenous elements or anything like that? I would say because I, I likewise, I wouldn't use English or British ingredients here. Mm. I, I was going to say I'm not using any Australian or international ingredients in the UK, but I've just lied because Australian truffles are fantastic. Right. <laughs> so, 
So um, I think what it's done, though, there's been some things, more obvious things I expected to benefit yeah. from, like all staff, other side of the world, new space, new yeah. people, yeah. feel the sheer kind of energy here when it comes to food. It, the focus is back on the dishes because we now have to try them with Australian ingredients. Mm. So I've got such a fantastic team. Yeah. We bed down to the, like, the finest detail on everything. We measure distances between bits of cutlery on table and yeah. footsteps are going to take you to one place so it was still a, it was still a big pressure because i didn't know how the people um coming to the duck here would respond mm. to it the big thing was it was all about the next stage of the duck because this if you think about the jigsaw puzzle and the clock mm. it's almost a metaphor for time yes and i have to say just going into the restaurant and seeing that the big hand is on the last day of august that you're here yeah. and the last piece of the puzzle is in no, it's 20 years of the duck. I know, but so it's, 20 uh, it's years. such a massive achievement. So yeah, I just think you're going to sit here today and I think you're going to take it all in and you're going to actually enjoy the experience of being in your own place and just everything, just let everything wash over you that you've achieved. And I think there'll be tears. Stop it. I'm not going to <laughs> Stop it. You've just got inside my head now. <laughs> Excellent. Well, look, thank you so, so much. I really appreciate it. And we're going to keep in touch and follow your journey. And when you come back next, we'll um, see how it's going. Yeah, that word journey. Remember that word journey, because yeah. next time we speak, that word is just about the keyword in the new pet that concept. Right. And so just think about that. I'm sitting here today, very excitedly, with Issa Bull from The Fat Duck. How are you? Very good, thanks. That's good. Now, tell me all about you. Well, um, I, have, I have been with The Fat Duck last 10 years, and we have just actually celebrated the 20th anniversary of the restaurant. Today. Congratulations. Yes, thank you. And, yes, in the process of being at The Fat Duck, uh, my career has developed from basically from a very humble start to, to somewhere that I, I believe many of my colleagues would, would aspire to. But I don't see myself there yet. I'm still striving to get Such better. a lovely, humble man. So tell us what you do at the Fat Duck and don't be humble. Well, I do... <laughs> what I do at the Fat Duck is not much, really. <laughs> I think that's a big fat lie. Uh, it's what I do is, I look after all the wine operation of the Fat Duck. I do a little bit with our other restaurants as well, and I do the training of the sommeliers, hiring, and all that goes with the wine part of wine and beverage part of the business. Basically. Does that mean you have to just sit and get drunk all day? Um, sometimes I do get tipsy, but I don't get drunk that often. <laughs> so you're very controlled. You spit it out. I can say that, yes. <laughs> and tell us about the wines at the Fat Duck. So obviously everybody came out from England, and that was, Heston was just telling us before, that was a year and a half of planning just to make that happen. Yes. And so how, what was your brief for the wine list for the Fat Duck in Melbourne? It's more than a brief. We have actually had few talks and discussions, and Heston was heavily involved in that as well. And it wasn't a brief as such, but discussion. And once the discussion was done, it was then left to 
to me to decide how to structure the list. We ended up having a 50% Australian list. Okay, that's pretty good. And international. So, yes, I believe we have represented Australian wines well, as well as the rest of the world. I love that. And what is your personal? I know wine is so subjective and it depends what you're eating and what you're drinking and, you know, what you're feeling like. But what, say, after service and Mm. you're fairly tired and... You know, maybe you've just had a burger because you can't get anything to eat at the Fat Duck because you've been working too hard. Yes. <laughs> what would you pour yourself from any of the Australian wines that you have on the list? Well, there are there are quite a few I really enjoy in Australia. And I don't want to be unfair to any other producer, but I have enjoyed... I think the one wine I really enjoyed was 2002... Um, Cullen Chardonnay that was really good and Ah. I can't forget that wine it was really special bottle how wonderful I mean that's amazing to have a wine that you remember so vividly I tend to remember what I drink gosh that's extraordinary not like most of us who (laughs) can barely remember where we (laughs) were last (laughs) I remember I usually remember the wines I really liked the wines I really didn't like Ah. And the ones I don't remember are not worth remembering. <laughs> and what's your favourite um, European wine? Um, I tend to gravitate towards Italy mm-hmm. in general. Um, I do love Brunello's. I do love some of the Piemontese wines. But do you know what? It's just depends on the time. It's like I love wine altogether. Mm. And do you have in your service at the Fat Duck, I know when they do the wine matching Mm -hmm. with the food, do you ever have anybody complain and say they don't like this certain wine? That hasn't happened much in Australia. We we do tend to sort of keep a close eye on people and if we feel that someone is not enjoying it, Mm. we try to sort of prompt them to say it. But Mm. that has not happened but like I said, if if we, if we have a slight inkling that someone is not enjoying what we gave to them, we would be proactive and give them something else. Okay. And in terms of training the sommeliers, yes. um, obviously it's an incredibly high standard that you need to achieve. So how long would it take to bring them up to speed on the lists? Oh, I don't think there is a fixed recipe. It very much depends on the individual, how willing they are and how much effort they are putting in. Because you can give someone as many information as you want. If they are not taking it, then it will take quite a long time. It sounds like you're talking about my children. Okay. (laughs) Well, they're not quite kids, but um, it really depends from one person to another. And how is everybody feeling about going back to the UK? I think everyone had a wonderful time in Melbourne. And I believe... This is without exception. I think everyone is going to miss Melbourne, that's for sure. But also, it's nice to be going back home too. Yes. What about your family? They are back home already. Okay. So they came out here as well? Yeah. They are back home already. Oh, that's wonderful. Um, And whereabouts did you eat and drink when you were, while you've been in Melbourne? Pretty much everywhere. (laughs) And you wouldn't know it to look at you because you're in amazing shape, I have to say. Thank you. There's like no spare tyre going on around you, my friend. There is a bicycle (laughs) tyre. Well, your suit covers it beautifully. Yes, I buy large ones. (laughs) So um, when it's downtime for you, 
um, where would be a restaurant that you have enjoyed in Melbourne that you sort of have gone to a few times? I think there are a few places I really enjoy going in Melbourne. Restaurant-wise, I have enjoyed Town Mouse, Hell of the North. I went to Francois a few times mm. that I enjoy. And wine bars, I, I do like the city wine shop. I go there quite often. Yes. I also enjoy Belota in South Melbourne, that they do a good job as well. But there is no shortage of places. I know, we're so lucky. And what about the other states? Do you know, I kind of made a conscious decision when I came to Australia. I was going to sort of focus on Victoria yes. more than anywhere else. So I haven't really... I went to Sydney for two days. I was in a hotel and stuck doing work. Doing work. <laughs> and that's it. Um, I went to... Did you have a good club sandwich from the restaurant in-house, in-dining restaurant? Oh, we, did, we, did, we did go out in <laughs> Sydney and ate in a couple of nice places yeah, yeah. at Est and the Mr Wong's. Nice. That was good. Mm. And Western Australia I went, but it was really a day trip. and yes. Again, I haven't really got to see much there. Yes. Um, so I think those states I'm going to have to come back and... Definitely. And obviously you've known Heston for many, many years. Yes. And is he... This is just between you and I and yeah. five million people. Yeah. <laughs> so um, is he fun to work with? I mean, his energy seems off the charts. I think, first of all, he's an inspiring leader. Mm. And around him, it's almost impossible to be to be sort of not motivated at what you are doing. He motivates people. Like, his mere presence is enough to get that motivation going. And he's always very encouraging his people around him to strive for better, do better. And his motto, question everything, really is the key. Oh, I love that. It's amazing. Yeah, he's just a genius, isn't he, really, with what he's achieved? and He is genius, but also he's a very hard-working man. Yes, he is, absolutely. So Monica Heston's PR lady was explaining to me that, um, of course, going back to set up the Fat Duck Now or to reopen the Fat Duck Now in UK, um, the Melbourne Day stops, the Australian Day stops, and the UK day takes off. So he's up working, you know, sort of at 3am because that's the start of his UK day. And so he'd be living on very little sleep, as as would you be at the moment. It's... I don't generally sleep much anyway. It's like usually my sleep is four or five hours a night. Oh, good Lord. That's usually what I go on. And every now and again, my body tells me to... Sleep and, and does I your sleep. body do that by crying and having a fit and tantrum and throwing things? Well, I just I just feel tired and that's <laughs> when I feel I need to sleep one night and I sleep then. Oh. So you must have obviously seen a lot of different Australian wine regions and uh, which ones do you find that you've enjoyed the experience of going to the most? I think as a state, I can single out, I don't have problem singling out Victoria as, as the most exciting wine state in Australia but within Victoria there are so many uh, varieties in in style Grampians is a very special place I believe, Mm. it has got a particular feel to it which is fantastic Mm. and then although I have been there for a very short time up in Beechworth that's also a fantastic place to to be it's so beautiful isn't it there are some amazing wines there Mm. too Uh, but that is not to say 
Yara is not exciting or Mornington Peninsula mm -hmm. is not exciting and that shows the depth of strength that Victoria has. Mm -hmm. It's just an amazing wine state. Mm -hmm. And what about um, the Barossa? Barossa has been and is a very important part of Australian wine culture and history and they are the Barossa, when we think about Barossa, the Barossa Shiraz comes to my, my mind and there aren't I can't think of any other region making wines of that style, so that is very important too. Has Heston got any more exciting television projects coming up? That I'm not really in tune with. Right. Okay. Have you? No, because I can I see you. I don't actually. <laughs> I don't. I don't actually do TV. Yet. This was a, this was a decision I took long time ago. <laughs> that I will not do TV. Okay, so. why is that? I just didn't fancy myself on camera, that's oh, all. Oh, I fancy you on camera. I think you'd be fantastic. We might have to do something about that down the track. Watch this space. <laughs> well, thank you so, so much for your time. My pleasure. You've been unbelievably generous, and we wish you luck today getting through your last big, exciting day in the 20th anniversary thank of the Fat Duck and um, the last Melbourne service. Now, it's My Shout with Nerida Conway. And thanks for joining us today on What's Cooking, Macquarie Radio NTS. I'm Nerida Conway and I've got a very exciting guest in my studio today. How are you? Very well, thanks Nerida. Now, this is Justin Purser who is the winemaker at Best's Great Western. Tell us a little bit about your winery and where it is. We're located in the Grampians, which is uh, three hours west of Melbourne. We, our winery is actually located in Great Western, which is halfway between Ararat and Stall, which is a sub-region of the Grampians wine region and very well known for Shiraz and Riesling and lots of history in our vineyards. Now, tell me a little bit about how you got into this business. Well, let's put it this way. Um, my parents always drank wine at the dinner table, but I got fed up with the cast version. so I, um, A good old cooler bar? The, uh, they were a bit more um, posh than that. Were they drank they? the two-litre Yolumba. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> but uh, I think uh, trying to get them – I was working in restaurants as well at the time when I was a teenager, and yeah. trying to get them to convert to bottled wine was a major milestone. And certainly um, consumption went down, but quality went up, and it's gone up since then. Okay. And so what was the defining day where you said, that's it, I'm working with wine? Oh, well, there's a good story there. I worked with my now wife, who was the head waitress at a French bistro in Sydney about nearly 20 years ago now, and I was the head waiter, uh, head barman, sommelier, and someone had left behind. And, uh, a good slug of Grand Cru Burgundy and we drank it, we hid behind the bar together and <laughs> sipped it and it, it was, was a defining moment. It was defining in more the ways than one. Yeah. I can imagine. Yeah. So it made you super tipsy me, and you proposed. And nah, well, <laughs> well, it took me a while to propose but we set, we committed to a relationship then and there and I committed to Who, you and winemaker. Well, both. I think, I think it was kind of entwined. <laughs> well, that is gorgeous. <laughs> Earlier in the show we got to have a chat to Issa Bal, who is the head similar at the Fat Duck group for Heston Blumenthal. And in my chat with him, he was explaining that he has actually been to your winery and that possibly some of his favourite wines in the world come from the Grampians and from your area and, in fact, even your winery. And I just think that's a pretty good ad. I'm getting goosebumps. That's a Are great you? compliment. So, if uh, you cry, I've a got great some day. tissues. Yeah. 
So can you tell me about his visit to your winery? Yeah, well, listen, um, Issa came through with uh, a group with um, James Halliday magazine and they uh, were touring the Grampians and we had a, a lunch and a tour and we've got some really interesting old cellars um, that date back to the 1860s and lots of uh, things haven't changed there, which is... That's pretty special which is though. pretty special, yeah. So, and we um, had lunch in the old house and that was built by Henry Best. We had a lovely tasting and we went out for dinner later on at the Royal Mail Hotel. We had a really good day and we met up with some of the other winemakers from the Grampians. So. And he's just such a humble man, isn't he? He's very thoughtful. He's very thoughtful. He's really considered a uh, taster. Like, I think he um, really thinks about what he's tasting and, and he ponders before he makes a comment. And he's very hard to get an opinion out of. Oh, yeah. So I'm flattered that he actually mentioned us. And Yeah, he, he specifically yeah. was talking about, you know, some of his favourite wine in the world, which is just so exciting for Australia as well. Yeah, it's Because great. he's actually going to be taking some of the wines that he loves from Australia back to the UK with him, which is just wonderful. Brilliant. So what sort of things do you do in the Grampians area? Like, do you get involved locally? Because it's quite a hive of activity up there. As you said, there's the Royal Mail Hotel. There's just, it seems to be such a big tourist destination. Look, the Grampians is a pretty fascinating area. There's some amazing countryside and the, the Grampians ranges. And it's a massive national park up there. So lots of wildlife, lots of natural splendour, as well as having a, a food and wine culture with long established wineries and restaurants and um, markets and everything else. So one of the big events we have up there is the Grampians Food and Wine Festival, mm. which is called the Grape Escape, which happens in um, May. We, you know, make a big turnout for that and uh, the winemakers all, you know, do talks and chefs all do cooking because it's a bit hard to do winemaking on the spot, but uh, people get to squash grapes and other stuff. How so there is, there is a kind of good uh, celebratory atmosphere for, for what the region produces. Yeah. Now, this might be a, a strange question, but just take me through some of the places that you've worked. So I, I started in Adelaide. I went through University of Adelaide, formerly known as Roseworthy, and I worked at a place called Primo Estate which is a great kind of mentorship for me. And then I went to New Zealand and worked in Central Otago, went to Italy, worked in Barolo, and ended up working in Burgundy and lived in Merceau for three and a half years and, mm -hmm. and did four seasons of winemaking there before I got the, the call to, to come to Best. So. I noticed that you have got some wines here that you've bought today. By the way, I love the bottles and the packaging. The, the labels are so classical and stylish. Um, so take me through what you've bought in. So we have a 2015 Great Western Riesling. Yes. Um, yeah, the interesting thing about the packaging, it's actually pretty much a fine-tuned uh, version of Henry Best's logo that he designed back mm. in the 1860 because he was a bit of a calligrapher. So we've really retained that. But tell me, I'm more excited about what's in yeah, the Yeah, so Riesling is a really well-known variety um, in Great Western. We have plantings dating back to the 1860s, mm. um, which have actually been taken, cuttings have been taken back to Germany for DNA tests because they believe that the origin of these vines is straight back to Germany. So, Gosh, that's So exciting. there's amazing history in the, in the vineyards there. The, the grapes that are made in this wine is all from Great Western, so it's a, it's a, that sub-region of the region of Grampian, so it's quite a specific site, mm. and it gives really exciting Riesling flavours of that kind of lime and blossom and, and that nice kind of piercing lime skin. Now, when you say lime and blossom, you don't mean that people have taken limes and taken blossoms and put it into the wine vat. That all happens in the vineyards. That No, it's all um, because just, people do it's ask just descriptors. Me. It's, uh, you, we tend to get descriptors, but it's, it's 
I think it's a way of verbalising what is happening when you taste the wine and that's what makes wine interesting because it could be a Riesling from Clare Valley or it could be a Riesling from um, New Zealand or it could be a Riesling from Great Western and they're all the same grape and they're all winemaking is reasonably similar yeah. but the, the region really makes them stand apart. So some of those descriptors help kind of define individuality of that yeah, wine. Yeah, because just to clarify, because I did have one of our listeners comment that does that mean that they put lime in it to infuse into the flavour? So just to clarify. No, that. no, it's all natural. <laughs> it's so the only occurring. thing that goes in there is grapes and, and love, blood, sweat, and tears. To, tend to put, yeah, lo- well, you know, I, I noticed that you're just still sitting here holding the bottle yes, and not I actually know. pouring be, it um, for me to have it, it yes, a try. Uh, this is your Shiraz, and it's mm-hmm. saying, you know, celebrating 150 years. Yeah, that's correct. So Bess was founded in 1866, so 2016 will be 150 years old in continuous operation. Now, I'm just onto the Riesling here, and well, I think this looks like the Tears of Angels. That's a, go. a very good descriptor. Can I, I expect, steal that? Yes, I expect that just to see that on your next bottle. Uh, do I have to quote you? Of course. I'm going to have a little taste. This is really delicious, and I that is really, really um, bursting flavours in mm. my mouth. It's really good. I really like it. <laughs> okay, so what else have you got for us? We might try the Shiraz next. So 2014, bin number one Shiraz. Okay. I should probably mention the vintage. We're really happy with the 2014 vintage, especially for reds. Okay. We nearly lost it all because we had a bushfire that um, came very close to us. Oh, no. And uh, in January. And it, it was it was a weird season because it started off cool and then it went hot in January. And then we had two weeks where it was 40 degrees and we had bushfires and I think there was 52,000 hectares of bushland burnt in oh, the northern Grampians. And you actually, you never think about wineries and vines being burned. One of our growers um, lost their vineyard. Well, um, not in 2014 because all the wind blew the fires north, but 2015 when we had another fire. So, yeah, it's a bit of a... A risky game up there. 150-year-old vines. No, they don't grow out of trees. Come out of trees. They they are trees (laughs) that are there. So they do recover, depending on how badly burnt they are. If they're completely burnt, that's it. You know, Mm. game over. But if they do get singed, they can recover. They're pretty hardy, hardy plants. Anyway, so 2014, that heat actually had a positive effect because it stalled the grapes growing. We actually missed missed the effects of the fire. Thankfully, otherwise, it probably would have ruined the crop. But the the heat just made the the vines stop growing. So it was too hot for them to grow, but they still had plenty of foliage and the grapes were like a green pea stage so okay. they were still quite vegetative so they hadn't really start producing their flavours. But the advantage of it was that it meant because the season was stalled for two weeks that the harvest when we picked the grapes went into late autumn mm. when it was cooler so that means that you get that retention of those lovely aromatics and, and acidity in the later part of autumn. It was a good sort of result in the end. When yeah, we thought something we... that could have been devastating. <laughs> Absolutely. So tell me about the Shiraz. So Shiraz is a really well known variety in Australia, but in the origin of Shiraz in Australia is to a few certain regions and Great Western is one of those. And Shiraz is like the real champion of the Great of Great Western and the Grampians. It just uh, it has some of those lifted spicy aromatics and and medium bodied. It's not a it's not a full bodied wine like some of uh, at Barossa Shiraz, for example. Mm. It's more medium bodied. It's it's more subtle in flavour and easier to drink. Because I sat next to an American gentleman on a plane trip recently, and he was telling me that he finds Australian Shiraz just so in your face that he can't drink it. Well, he needs to try best Shiraz. Well, I'll tell him if I ever see him. If again he flies on the Qantas, plane. he can get it. <laughs> oh, there you go. All right. All right. 
Well, that's wonderful. And are you happy to give us some wine to share with our listeners? Absolutely. I can manage um, a splash, I'm sure. Excellent. All right. So if you'd like to get your hands on some of Best Wine, Justin's Beautiful Wine, simply send us an email to whats-cooking.com.au and tell us why you think you would like to try some Best's Wine and we'll draw the winner and send you out some of your beautiful wine. Justin, thank you so much for joining us today. What's New with Nerida Conway. And you're listening to What's Cooking, Macquarie Radio NTS. I'm Nerida Conway. We are on the phone at the moment with Chef Ian Curley from the European in Melbourne and Kirk's Wine Bar. How are you, Ian? I'm very well. I'm up here on the, in beautiful Port Douglas. Now, you're up in Port Douglas at the moment living the dream, I might add. For... I've worked very hard, I must tell you, Nerida. I'm sure. I've worked for one night and I've had three days of holiday with the kids. Oh, whatevs. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're up there at Taste Port Douglas. Now, it's not entirely new, but it's newish. Tell me about it. Well, it's, it's in its third year, and um, the first year there was only just one chef that did a, like a dinner, and then last year there were four of us with Massimo, uh, Colin Fastnage, and myself. Wow. Cooking with Spencer Patrick up, up here. And then this year there's 15 of us, so it, it's growing Gosh, you know, 15, exponentially that's a every jump. year. So it's been, it's been great. So on Friday night I cooked at Nunu in Palm Cove and I love that restaurant. did a dinner at Sassy and um, there was a, you know, everybody was doing a, an individual dinner. Colin did one at Watermark. So it's gone from there. So it's growing and growing. And then on the weekend we had a couple of cooking demonstrations in the, um, the park down here. And we had a good old night, actually. Very it's good. Such a, a, gorgeous... a great weekend. We do the Melbourne and Sydney ones, which are fantastic. But also you come here... And you're actually bringing something to the town. Like people were busy, there was a bit of a vibe, it was all happening. You do the Melbourne and Sydney ones, and it's kind of like, you know, okay, it's just another day, and you know, mm. yada, yada, yada. But up here, people were genuinely happy to see us. And I think food and wine and things is so important for most people's holidays anyway. And I think what could be more perfect than timing a festival that gathers a collection of the Australia's top chefs together, yep. um, just so you, you can experience the gamut whilst having. You know, your holiday, especially given that in the eastern states of Australia, it's pretty cold still. Oh, of course. I mean, I'm up here. I mean, you had, like, people who were, like, out at dinner and then they had Colin Fastenich cooking for them and they'd only seen him on television. And yeah. then you got Massimo from Tasmania and you got Spencer, who's a local. He, he, he was... Like rented out his restaurant for the night to to us on Sunday night, and we you know we had a good night. And so tell me about Spencer Patrick. He's he is the owner and restaurateur of Harrison's. Yeah, uh, which he owns Harrison's up here in a small Italian place called Bucci. Okay, now I haven't eaten at Harrison's, but I hear yeah, that it's fantastic. Good. Very good. One hat in the uh, in the good food guide out of Queensland. But very, I've got to tell good. you, English guy used to be cooking in Melbourne, and he's such a lovely, lovely guy. And yeah, his wife Raina is the co-organizer of this festival. I think they've done extraordinary things for for the region, haven't they? Yeah, yeah. She's done all the work just, well, just quietly. She's a woman. It's usually the way. Well, I'm not, I'm, <laughs> that's another argument for another day that we could argue that one until the blue in the face. Let's not, because I'm a woman and I win. That's right. Yeah, that's it. And I'll, I'll, I'm a man and I'll let you. Yeah. Oh, you're a smart man. Uh, that's it. So, but no, it's been great to see the produce and actually smell it and touch it and stuff like that. And that's stuff that we like we forget when we're in Melbourne because we get we get delivered 
got great produce, but you've actually got to go out and get your produce here. So it's a beautiful town. And Ian, have you seen any produce up there that um, is a little bit unique to the area that we perhaps don't get as prevalently here? Yeah, I had a beautiful pomelo salad the other night at um, What's that? Nunu. It's uh, it looks like a tomato, a large tomato from the outset, but it's it's a fruit. And also, I had um, like? cassava, which is such a starchy vegetable. But Sorry, just go when, back a step. What does that taste like? Uh, it's, um, it's, it's like a tomato. It's, yeah, along those lines. It looks like, um, yeah, it kind of slices like a tomato as well. It's a fruity thing, but it's, it's beautiful. Okay. And it's, yeah, it's, and it's great. And it's, um, it's sort of like a cross between, sort of like a tomato and an avocado, if you, if you like, you know. Okay. So, yeah, look it up, pomelo, beautiful. We had a beautiful pomelo salad up here. Okay. And also, they're, they're very much into a thing called cassava, cassava, which is like, it looks like a really long... Um, Not carver. No, 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 no. I'm pro- <laughs> it wouldn't surprise me if that's not where it comes from, but cassava is a really, really starchy... Um, it looks like a really, really, really long potato. Okay. So you scrub it all up, and, you, and it's got starch in it, so you can deep fry it into crisps and chips. But it makes beautiful hash browns for breakfast, so, but beautiful. My weakness. And uh, the good thing is, and because you have it fresh, it kind of keeps its integrity, and it's like really starchy. Mm. The longer, um, but it doesn't travel very well. So, okay. You know, but beautiful and up here, and but also all the you know the holy basil and all, and all the Asian herbs and spices mm, that because of go the climate. So well, with this end of the end of the end of Australia. And the sugar, you know, all the sugar cane up there and everything. Absolutely. You know, so, and all that. And, it's, and you know, it's kind, of, it's kind of funny to just, you know, you come up here and everybody's wandering around singlets and, and bawdies and, mm. you know, and you kind of go, okay. And then us city folk are coming up here and it's like, you know. Well, I'm oh. sure I can name a couple of chefs, which I won't, who would have gone and had a spray tan. Um, well, you, <laughs> yes, I think uh, there's a lead in there and, and you're hearing when we do the, uh, I, I actually bumped into a few chefs. I got them to say a few words. Of, no, no, no. Uh, we're going to play it right now. Okay, great. Hi, I'm Massimo Melee by Catering by Massimo. My three favourite restaurants in Australia would be, that I love to eat at, is Fleet in Byron Bay, European in Melbourne, and Mum's House in Tasmania. And overseas, I'd love to eat at Michael White's restaurant, Maria, in New York City. Hi, this is Spencer Patrick. Now, if I was going to choose three restaurants to eat to in the East in this country tonight, I'd like to go firstly to the European, so I can get... I can get into their uh, cheese cellar, maybe have some foie gras, which is one of my favourite things. I go to the Foreign Hand in Sydney because I like a bit of nose to tail. And for a nice, uh, relaxed time, I'd go to uh, A25 Pizza in Melbourne. And my favourite restaurant in the world right now, and it always has been, is Le Gavroche in London. Because I like a bit of a bit of classic. That was fascinating. There's yeah. half of those restaurants I've never been to before. Yeah, well, you've been to European. <laughs> well, I have. I've almost got shares in your place. Uh, I, think, uh, I think they were only just saying that because I was holding the microphone. But well, the, uh, I yeah, think no, probably they would have been dumb not to. Well, so. thank you so much for all your um, correspondence, being a national correspondent for us up there this week. <laughs> Can't wait to get you back into the studio next week, though. I'll, I'll be there Tuesday. I cannot wait. I'm very much looking forward to it. Curly Questions with Nerida Conway and Chef Ian Curley. Thanks for listening. You're on What's Cooking Macquarie Radio NTS. I'm Nerida Conway. Now, we have been inundated with questions from our listeners about 
curly things to do with kitchen, food, cooking, you name it. And we're very lucky to have Chef Ian Curley from the European and Kirk's Wine Bar on hand to answer our curly questions. Now, okay, so the yeah. first curly question we have for you sure. today is, why does my beef go like leather when I make a curry? I, I cook it cooking f- it too quick. Well, this person goes on, this is Peter mm. from Newtown in, in Sydney. He yep. says, why does my beef go like leather when I make a curry? I cook it for a long time, very slow heat, but it never seems to be tender like the restaurant beef. I've taken right. to buying I fillet, making up the sauce and dropping in the cubes at the last minute. Is this the way to go? No. First of all, you don't, you don't slow cook um, I fillet, first of all, because it's very expensive. Yes. And also, you wanna, if you're going to cook things slow, you want to use um, things like beef cheek or silver mm. side or, or something like that and cook it at 130 degrees. So, okay. So and I, w- I would always personally seal the beef on top first, get a nice brown colour, mm-hmm. and put that into the liquid, bring the liquid up to the boil and put it in at 130 degrees. It's a fail-safe method. You, c- you cannot possibly make the, the, the uh, meat dry. Okay, well, that's great to know because I've had the same thing. And lucky last, I've got Jane coming to you from Adelaide and she says, what's the best way to deal with a situation if you're not happy with the meal you've ordered from a restaurant? Uh, now, uh, okay, now, take a step yeah. back because you are a chef. You do I'm work a, in a restaurant owner. and an owner because she says, I've been to three different restaurants for different reasons and I've not mm. been happy with the offering. When I gently tell them, so that this won't be repeated, the answer is always, oh, sorry, I'll let the chef know. Okay. I'm not happy with this response, so I don't go back, and I'm, now I'm fast running out of restaurants. Yeah, well, okay. <laughs> um, rather than me saying the problem could be Jane, I'm going to say, right, first of all, there, there are menus on the, on the front of the restaurant normally. It's yes. kind of like an offering. Yes. But also, if you genuinely go into a restaurant and you don't like what you've been served, you should be able to, I believe, what we would do, and I don't know how it works for other restaurants, is we, we just take the bill off the menu. Okay. We just take that meal off the menu. Okay. However, it gets to a point where if we recognise you and you keep coming in and doing it, and it's also... <laughs> a cereal you, you pest. Don't, you don't, you, yeah, you're a pest. Yeah. But also, I'm not saying that Jane is, no. and she may generally, but try and give as much information as possible when you sit down. If you, if you are a celiac or you, or you don't like nuts or you don't like avocado or you don't like tomato or garlic or onion or whatever, mm. try and give as much information as possible because... For the most part, a lot of dishes will be half prepared or nearly nearly ready to finish, if it depending mm. on where it is. So if you turn up and say, "Well, I don't like mushrooms. I'm not happy with this mushroom risotto." I mean, it's a mushroom risotto. What, yes. what do you mean? Well, we have people you. saying there's too many mushrooms in the mushroom risotto. I mean, sorry. <laughs> The more mush is the best. Better. Well, Well, thank you so much, Ian Curley from the European, for joining us today on Curley Questions. If you've got more Curley Questions, send them to us on the website, which is whats-cooking.com.au, and we'll look forward to seeing you next week on What's Cooking, Macquarie Radio, NTS.